Today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. We saw the last time that uh, we were going, they were going through Jericho. We saw that the walls came down in Jericho. We saw what that represented and we could see the applications in our own life. Tonight we're going to look at the defeat at Ai, what it means, how it's handled, and lessons learned from it. Let's start in verse number one. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So we saw, again, the walls came down in Jericho, the inhabitants were slaughtered, the city burned, and the loot given to the Lord, or so we thought. Achan, his name means trouble. Imagine naming your kid trouble. (laughs) Imagine growing up with that name. Uh, He took some of the accursed things. He stole some of the Lord's loot. And the the anger of the Lord was burned against the children of Israel. Why? Well, Achan was a picture of sin. He was a picture of that leaven. He was a picture of infection that can be spread if not dealt with. In biology, which I'm a big fan of, it only takes a few deadly microbes or a few cancerous cells to ruin the whole body. Like the Terminator, these little, these little things that can't be seen with the naked eye will not stop until they destroy the whole body. They're not satisfied until the body is, is, is destroyed completely. They'll keep doing until they accomplish that goal. I was learning about the, uh, the new strain of E. coli that they found in one of the fast food restaurants. A lot of people got sick. Again, they, these, these little buggers just know how to mutate and become worse. Uh, it only takes a, 10 or less of these microbes to give the same harmful effects on a human being, especially uh, people with compromised immune system. And it used to take a few hundred or a few thousand. So now it only takes about, you know, 10, which is really nothing. It's, it's, it's insignificant. But what about here? Okay, and I make the comparison. You talk about a picture of sin. This is a picture of sin. That's a picture of sin. I don't want to say it so much that it becomes a trite saying, you know, all these things are a picture of sin. But God wants to see, he wants us to see how serious sin is. So let's just take it a little deeper. Sin is the antithesis of God. His attributes are God is light. God is love, right? You know, God is truth. Sin is a lie. Sin is darkness, okay? Uh, Sin is hate. So sin is everything that against what God is. We need to know our enemies. We need to know ourself. We need to know the sin that so easily ensnares all of us. And if to each one of us it's different. To some it's greed. To some it's lust, to some it's uh, just self-centeredness, pride, whatever, you know, you name it. There's a sin for everybody, right? And some of us have a bunch of them that we struggle with, right? (laughs) But so going on, verse 2, it says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three hundred or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Big mistake. If you look on your map, 
If you, those of you who got a map, those of you who don't, I'll do a good job explaining it. If, you, if you're at Jericho and you go west, uh, and you go west and a little bit north, within, within about 10 miles you'll run into the, the next city that they were going to conquer, which was Ai. Uh, there was a difference between Jericho and Ai. You know, Jericho had these great walls. We talked about the double thick walls with houses that spanned the inner and outer walls and, and the heights of them and the breadth of them. Uh, Ai, nah, not as fortified. Uh, Jericho, many people. Ai, few people. Small potatoes. Uh, Jericho, formidable. You know, it's forbidden for me. Hey, Lord, we're going to Jericho. Lord, please help us. Ai, eh. Sent a few thousand men, you know, nobody really sought the Lord on this one too, too hard, obviously. But this, to me, I look at presumption here. It's assuming the Lord will just come along for the ride in some of our decisions. I asked an elder recently to counsel, uh, an elder and his wife, to counsel with a couple that was having some trouble. And he said to me, first thing he said to me, can I pray about it and can I ask my wife? That's the answer I was looking for. You're darn right you can, and you better check with your wife. You know, you should always check with your wife. But that's what I'm looking for. Uh, Pastor Luis, another one of his famous uh, terms is, he said, in certain situations, to be bathed in prayer. It's just that picture, being in, I think of a tub when you're bathing, but to just be bathed in prayer, to be totally, let prayer encompass you, okay, especially for certain, uh, uh, certain things that we, we go to do. But maybe there was an overconfidence here. Again, I got this one, Lord. I, you know, Jericho was big, big stuff. AI, I, I can take it from here. It's, it's not that big of a deal. You see the difference. To me, this is a picture of not completely seeking the Lord. We're kind of slowly moving away from him, gradually, slowly, but expecting he'll always be with us anyway. You know, just like when they started with Jericho, there was a big, you know, push to, to check with the Lord and to be in prayer. And here it just doesn't really seem like they did that with AI. Ah, I just need a few men. Verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up from, there, uh, from the people, but they fled before the men of AI. And the men of AI struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabaram and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Wow, what a, what a uh, turning of the tables. Remember when they crossed the Jordan and the, the, the Jordan dried up and they were able to walk through dry land? And, man, that was the beginning of sorrows for the Canaanites. They, uh, the Bible says that their hearts melted like wax, right? Now, all of a sudden, the children of Israel are like, what's going on here? This isn't good. We're in, we're in Canaan and we're losing, right? So a few things to take from this. That What's interesting is that God was even merciful in, in the defeat. Out of the 3,000 that they took, it only records that they lost 36 men. And it kind of shows me that even when God's trying to teach us something, he uses appropriate discipline as a father would discipline his children. He didn't humiliate the children of Israel, but he certainly got their attention. Then you could say, well, Joe, what about the Babylonian invasion of 586 B.C.? Different set of circumstances. Why? If you read Second Chronicles 36, and I, I keep repeating it, I said that on Sunday, Second uh, Chronicles 36 tells us, I believe it's 14 through 21, it says that uh, there was a point in time in Israel where there just was no more remedy. God kept sending prophets, kept sending people to warn the people, sending day and night, rising up early, and they, they, they persecuted these people. And eventually until there was no remedy, bad place to be. The second thing about this is that 
it must have been obvious right away that the battle wasn't going well. And I, I don't, I can only imagine as they were fighting and they start to lose a guy, two guys, three guys, and the body count is starting to rise. They, they lost 36 men. Was it possible that the enemy didn't lose any? It's a possibility. I'm not really sure. But there was something about this battle that they knew right away, hey, this is not going well. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, you know in the heat of battle when the Spirit of the Lord has departed, so to speak. Uh, you ever get that feeling, that nauseating, sick feeling that in the middle of a major, maybe a major decision in your life that you've made, you can sense that the Lord's presence is not in it. I've been there. Have you? I'm sure all of us can say that. And you just, you just say to yourself, gee, uh, and you, you, start, you start backtracking. Was I in prayer long enough about this one? You know, is it, was it in conjunction with God's word? Uh, you, know, you just get that, that, that sinking feeling in a sense that the Lord's not with me. And it, I could see that happening here. Verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Again, this was good. This was good. But the priorities were a little wrong. Um, I believe that if they would have sought the Lord first before the ark of the covenant said, Lord, should we go to Ai? Lord, is our house in order? I have no doubt that the Lord would have answered them. Because he did many times with Moses. You know, Moses, he got into that habit and, and he was teaching Joshua, this is what you do, you know, when you take over from me. So uh, the priorities were a little off here. But they, they put dust on their head, they tore their clothes, and they were prostrate. This is a picture of mourning, humility, and grief. The leadership, Joshua and the elders, lead in humility and seeking the Lord. And it's always good for leadership to lead in what direction they should go in, whether it's in victory or humility. The leader should take that, uh, that first step to lead the people into which way we should be going with this. And they chose the right thing, to lead in humility. It's also a picture of repentance in a sense, in the, in the strictest sense of to change one's mind, to turn around in that sense. In other words, um, you know, what makes a great leader after a defeat, a great leader, does a great leader say, I'm defeated, I'm just going to, you know, just throw it all away at this point, or am I going to repent? Am I going to turn around and see where I've done wrong and change direction? And that's what Joshua did. Verse 7, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites or to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you, what will you do for your great name? Now, some presuppositions here. Uh, just like with the commander of the Lord's army, remember... Uh, Joshua said to the commander of the Lord's army, are you for us or for, your, for our enemies? And he said, no. He didn't answer his question. Um, in this sense, I believe that God is saying, that's not my intention. As we see in God's response, what Joshua is saying here is he's missing the boat here. He's missing the point. And again, I'm not criticizing Joshua, but I'm, we're learning from him. Thank God we have the Bible. Because I believe if any of, any of us were in his position, 
we would have made the same mistakes. So this is great that we have God's word so that hopefully we learn from it. And the sad thing is, even though we have the whole counsel of God, sometimes we still don't learn from it, right? We make the same mistake that these people made. But again, I'm not sure what Joshua's mindset is here exactly. Is he serious? Does he really believe what he's saying? Is he maybe a little bit of manipulating, trying to get God to undo whatever he's doing? Is he just completely distraught, maybe not even really thinking about what he's saying at this point? Or accusatory, God, this lack of action is on your part. It was a mistake. You know, um, What's going on here? Maybe a combo of, a, of the few things going on here. But uh, I tell you what, a lesson that I've learned from the Bible, when things are going wrong, I learned from Job. Job was a, Job was a great teacher for me because he, he looked at his situation and he uh, was, did really good for a while. And then he started really complaining and he... He, he had an attitude that really wasn't completely favorable toward the Lord at some point as things progressed. And I learned that no matter how bad it's going, I can never blame God. So if I'm blaming God, I'm in the wrong place. The default has to be away from that because you can't blame God, right? He said to Job, you know, where were you when I made this and when I made that? And, you know, look at this creation and look at that. And, and Job was speechless. He really couldn't answer the Lord there, right? So I certainly try not to make that mistake. But the bottom line, regardless, is that Joshua, he's not on the same page that God is right now. He's not of the same mind as him. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? He's like, get a hold of yourself. Get up, Joshua. Kind of reminds me of Elijah when he did such a great job on Mount Carmel, defeating the 400 prophets of Baal, right? And... Uh, He's, he's doing good. You know, he's, he's serving the Lord, and the Lord accepted his sacrifice and consumed the wood, even though it was soaking wet, right? And he, he, when he finds out Jezebel's after him, he, he defeats 400 prophets. One woman <laughs> says she's going to get him, and he, pew, he's gone, right? He takes off. And God catches up to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Go back to Israel. You know, the 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So it kind of reminds me a little bit about that. Joshua, get up. Get a hold of yourself. We've got work to do. And he says this in the imperative. It's a peremptory response from the Lord. Pay attention because what I'm going to tell you is important. Or, if it was me, he probably would say, are you done with your pity party? <laughs> when you're done with your pity party, let me know because i got things for you to do. Verse 11. Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. So God tells Joshua in painful detail the reason for the defeat. 13. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has. 
because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So God gives Joshua instructions what to do to remedy the situation. In verse 15, it says, He shall be burned with fire. Hebrews 12.29, if you're taking notes, Hebrews 12.29 says that our God is a consuming fire. Well, that's interesting. I just said before that God was a God of love. Now he's a consuming fire. Do you think I'm painting myself into a corner here? Is that duplicitous on God's part? He's a consuming fire, but he's the God of love. The answer is no. God is a God of love, and God is also a consuming fire. Now, the cool thing about all this is, think about this. How do you reconcile the two? He lets us choose our terms. We can choose to rebel against him. We can choose to, be, to, un, to not believe in the sacrifice that he's provided through his son, Jesus Christ. And we consume, we can, we can be, uh, choose to be part of that consuming fire, which is not a good thing. Or we can choose the God of love. We can choose the sacrifice. We can choose the spotless, sinless lamb that, that came and, and uh, was made as a sacrifice, a propitiation for our sins. And then we can, we can be embraced into the God of love. So the interesting thing is the Old Testament, I, I think that it's hard to really understand completely the, the New Testament until you understand the Old Testament. Verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. This is a very interesting process at work. He starts from the larger groups, and he keeps whittling it down in a sense, in a supernatural way, whittling down, whittling down, whittling down the groups until he finds the problem. Verse 19. So Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done. So God points to Achan and we have this remarkable dialogue between Joshua and Achan. We really get to see Joshua's heart here, I believe, and I'm, I'm speculating, it's conjecture. He says, I beg you. I beg you, he says, to give glory to God. Two things that comes out of this. Number one, I believe Joshua wanted this to go smoothly for the sake of his countrymen. He was concerned. He was the leader of Israel. He was a shepherd of Israel. We've said before that Joshua was a type of Christ. He loved those people. You know, I'm sure they got on his nerves a lot of times like they did with Moses. But Moses oftentimes made intercession for the people. And I think Joshua here, look, he, you know, Achan, just come clean. You know, this is, this is not good. Look at all the people that are suffering because of this. 36 families you know, lost their, their valiant soldiers. And, and what else is going to come of us, right? The second thing is, again, it's conjecture, but I believe that Joshua had a warrior spirit but a heart of gold. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that he also was concerned for Achan. Achan, you know what's going to happen to you. Give, give glory to God. Repent. You know, do what you've got to do because... I don't think you're going, to be here. you're going to be around much longer. So I think, again, with the warrior's heart that he had, he also had a heart of gold. That's my, my opinion of Joshua. Verse 21. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful... Now, this is Achan speaking. 
When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth and in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. The temptation. A garment, a Babylonian garment, must have been something pretty special. Some gold and some silver. Unfortunately, people have a price. Uh, It was... Uh, gee, now the name escapes me. The guy, um, Gehazi. Yes, Gehazi. Thank you. Gehazi. All right. <laughs> He's like, hey, 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 come back, come back. I could use a few donkeys, a few, you know, some gold, some this, you know. We'll never. So, so he does that and he, he ends up getting leprosy. What, what left Naaman ended up going on to Gehazi. Uh, Paul was a Demas that left him. He, he loved the world. And actually, in the Greek, the word is agape. It shows his incredible, intense love for the world. He sees the things of, of God. He sees what Paul's doing for the Lord, but he, he leaves him because of the world. He loves the world. He loved his present world. So people, for a price, a lot of people will, will do that. They'll prostitute themselves for material wealth. And what is that price? Let's look at this. Money. 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 The love of money is the root of all evil. You can lavish yourself for a time with money, but remember, it's just for a time. Even if it's for 40, 50, 60 years, it's, it's what compared to eternity? Drugs, you know, um, any, anything like that, feeling good for a time. Uh, pleasure, same thing, feeling good for a time, fill in the blank. Power, success, okay, you're on top for a time. Again, but it's only for a time. And just like in the parable of the rich fool, sometimes that time isn't for very long and then judgment comes is it really worth it uh with the rich fool he he had he built bigger barns and his crops yielded bigger and he and he said what am i going to do with all this stuff i'm going to build bigger barns and more storehouses and god says to him you fool tonight your life is required of you could have been a heart attack could have been an embolism he could have got run over by a wagon wheel who knows but either way the guy lost his life and all those riches were gone uh solomon said he said, in, in a nutshell, I have so much wealth. And he was so concerned that when he died, the next guy who takes over from his wealth, would he be a fool and squander it? Who cares? You're, gonna, you know, you're not there anymore. But people just get so attached to that wealth and, and that, uh, that stuff. But Verse 22. It says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took from them the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. <clears throat> so, this is a tragic story, and it's an awful thing to think about. And it certainly must have been an awful sight to see. It must have been, it must have been sad to see that, just for, for thievery, you know. Um, I'm sure the ACLU would have had a field day with stoning. I mean, think about, and we never really discussed this uh, here yet, but think about the aspects of stoning. It was personal. When you stoned somebody, you were in sight distance of that person because you pretty much had to aim, right? This, and I know it's kind of awful, but you know, there's a reason why I'm kind of going through it. 
you, as you were stoning the person, you could see the expression in their face as they were, they were dying. You know, they knew their time was short. It was grotesque. I mean, certainly they screamed and there was utterances from them as it was happening. And it was exhausting. People who had to do the stoning had to pick up stones and physically hurl it at them. So, I mean, again, we've never really taken it apart, but it's an, an awful uh, process. It's not at all pleasant to talk about it, but that's how offensive sin is. You know, all the stuff was brought, the, the, the animals, the goods, the silver, even the tent. Everything was brought, and after they died, they burned everything, including the tent. The whole remembrance of what he did and, and uh, you know, the whole gravity of it, the whole aggregate, uh, his, his livelihood, everything, it was taken and, and done away with. Uh, some people believe that his, his family was complicit in it because the Bible, and we can go through scriptures, where the Bible does say that people are responsible for their own sin. There is a, a, the Bible does have themes of uh, generations to generations, but that's also because uh, as you're raised in certain households and you learn from them and your kids learn from you, it's that general, generational sin that comes down. It, it bleeds through, but the Bible is clear that we're responsible for our own sins. You know, um, Individually, we stand before God. So I believe that I don't think this was cruel to the family. I believe that the family somehow was complicit in this. So, you know, I always want to think the better of God in, in the situation. Um, and even if it, it isn't true, God is good no matter what. So, you know, what we don't understand here, we'll understand later. But sin had to be totally rooted out. This is a picture of finality. It was a picture of total destruction of the sin that ensnares the people. And I'm going to say again, you know, I've talked about things and this and that being a picture of sin, but we, we've got to look at our own lives and what is it about our own lives? You know, we're all sitting here. I don't know who sins with what sin. You know, everybody is responsible for themselves. But, you know, you've you got to think as I'm talking about your own personal life. I've got to think about my own personal life. What is it that I need to burn? What is it that I need to kill first and then burn and get rid of in, in, in our lives? That's how offensive it is to God. Verse 26, last line. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day, which it's another variation of of the word trouble. But every time the children of Israel set up a heap of stones, it was to memorialize something. This should have served as a reminder to keep them from rebelling against God. Uh, so people saw the, you know, remember the, the memorial of the crossing the Jordan? There was a heap of stones. When they, when they got to the other side, it was a picture of how God delivered them, uh, maybe the start of their life in Canaan. There was also stones that were put up after this, this event with Achan and his family. They put up another heap of stones. Well, what was that to memorialize? Hey, don't rebel against God. It's not good for you. It's hazardous to your health, right? Uh, but again, as we see in the scripture, that didn't last long. And I believe for our lives, it's good to have reminders and warnings in our own lives from when we go astray from God. I'm sure there's something that every one of us could think of about how we really did the wrong thing, how we've sinned or how a situation went awfully wrong and the Lord wasn't in it. And that should serve as our memorial to say, hey, you know, it's, it's good for us to be on the right path, right? Um, What about memorials? What about hedges? What do we put in our own lives to remind us of that danger? And what do we put in our own lives to block us from going down that path again, right? 
sin in the camp. God wouldn't allow the double-minded hypocrisy in his people without a price. He wouldn't turn a blind eye to sin and at the same time allow them to be successful. He didn't do it with them, and he certainly won't do it with us. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loves us too much to allow us to sin and be double-minded and then be successful. I don't think it works. It won't work for us. Uh, We may think sometimes we get away with stuff, and he doesn't see it, but he's just being patient. There's a scripture that says to be sure your sin will find you out. It certainly will. It could take a few years. And then all of a sudden, five years later, it's like... (laughs) I got beat up for that one. But because, you know, God said, look, I'm giving you a long time. Root it out. Do it yourself. Right? So we need to look at our own lives and see where the Achans are and root them out before we get defeated at our own AIs. Too many people run around and just wing at sin and, and take it lightly and say, ah, oh, the Lord will take care of it. But it, it's something that has to be rooted out before God has to do it. And he gives us that choice. He gives us to, the choice to do it first because when he has to discipline us, it's painful sometimes but it's good for us. So as we go through the book of Joshua, the next time we, you know, we go through chapter 8, uh, we're going to see that uh, they end up going back to Ai and they win this time, but under different circumstances. Most notably is that the sin is rooted out and the Lord is with them this time. Lessons learned. One, any battles that the child of God fights must be done with the Lord's blessing. It must be in his strength and power. And two, and lastly, It's hard to be successful in anything as a child of God if there's persistent secret sin that hasn't been rooted out. Let's pray.